Uh, are we good? Are you good? Are we all good? I, I, I'm I, great. I, I think so. Yeah. You seem to be good. Okay. Welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, Emma Graney, and this is the Keeping It Together edition. We're up to 180 episodes. I know. So with me is uh, Keith Gerine, former legislative reporter and now has the happy job of reporting on health instead. This is me. Thank you. I'm glad (laughs) to be back. (laughs) (laughs) It's lovely to have you back. And my fellow legislative reporter, Stuart Thompson. Hey. I just said your name incorrectly. I said it like a North you American. Said it like a Canadian. <laughs> oh my gosh. Stuart Thompson. Do it. Edmonton <laughs> is rubbing off on you, clearly. Stuart. I meant Stuart Tommy Thompson. That's, that's actually the hard thing about being an immigrant is you develop a fake Canadian accent that becomes mm. a real Canadian accent over time. Mm. Yeah. Our uh, former pal in here, Amay, he has a great, um, he's from India, so he has a really great, what is it, John from Barrie, Ontario? <laughs> I love his impression of John from Ontario. It's the best. Um, Anyway, enough about immigrants. So, keeping it together. We're talking about a few things. Um, The NDP has kept it together for two years. Obviously, they're always going to be doing that because (laughs) they're the government. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what they've done, where they've still to go, and the general vibe around the NDP these days. Mm. Um, also, we're going to talk about unity. So, Jason Kenney had a fun press conference this morning. It is Friday morning as we're recording this. Today's Friday a deadline for afternoon unity. afternoon now. I guess so, we're just afternoon. <laughs> hungry and ornery now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you hear that? I'm hungry. I didn't <laughs> eat breakfast. That was a mistake. So, I'm sorry, listeners, in advance. <laughs> oh, it might be more entertaining this way. <laughs> <laughs> so, we'll talk unity, or rather the lack thereof, and also just briefly look at whistleblower legislation, which was unveiled by the NDP this week. So, let's launch, because it's all fresh in our brains and um, our sunny little faces that were just standing outside for half an hour. So... There was a 10 a.m. press conference with Jason Kenney this morning. Got a text just after 9 a.m. going, hey, Jason Kenney's scrumming. And it is, of course, the deadline, self-imposed deadline, since um, Jason Kenney said that uh, he and Gene, or rather the working group for Unity, would be coming with up with some kind of roadmap so they can be one big, happy, progressive, no, one big, happy, conservative, big tent, all-encompassing, loving party family <laughs> thing. So the deadline was today. So we all thought, oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. But then when Brian Jean wasn't showing up, it became apparent that maybe that's not what he was going to talk about. Stuart, you were there. You live tweeted the thing. Mm-hmm. You seemed to have fun. Yeah. Well, it's nice to be out in the... It's like 29 degrees today in Edmonton. So wasn't totally annoyed to be out there. <laughs> uh, it's better than the last one Kenny did in the legislature steps where it was pretty cold that day yes and i didn't have a jacket yeah that was a, that oh. was a rough one mm. um but the i think the thing the a couple of things struck me about that one is that there was no news and <laughs> like really yeah. nothing we got yeah. to kind of yeah. pick away at all of the questions that have been asked of kenny in the last like month or so so what are you doing in bc supporting uh, the bc liberals he said I, I like the bc liberals so that's one of the templates i want to use for the party in alberta and uh, it's just those kind of questions that have been kind of bubbling up. Graham Thompson, who 
sadly can't join us today. He asked him about, um, why haven't you spoken to the media in a month? And he said, Graham, I've spoken to you, and I've spoken to all these other smaller outlets. And uh, he said he hasn't really been hiding, whereas if you were to talk to the NDP, they would say Kenny's been in hiding since the GSA thing kind of broke. Um, so it was good to kind of get all that, all those questions that we had piling up in our heads. Mm-hmm. Um, but nothing new was coming out of this. And actually, we were to kind of discussing what what this was kind of pegged to. What was Jason Kenny trying to get out of this availability? Like, if you're Kenny, you don't do something like this without a goal in mind. You're looking for some coverage about something. And, you know, it is the NDP two-year anniversary, but everybody's already written those pieces. And the NDP has deliberately downplayed it because of the Fort Mac anniversary falling around the same time. So, I, I honestly, I'm not even sure what he was doing there. And My theory was it was... Uh I, and I feel tricked, I'll be honest. I yeah. feel tricked that it was... Um, because it was a text at just after 9 o'clock that Jason Kenny's going to scrum. And it's on the one year... Sorry, it's on the two-year anniversary of the NDP. But it's also the deadline of the of the um, unity plan. So I figured if he'd wanted people to show up and make sure that they did, you make it seem like it's something really big and do it at the last minute. Because then reporters the special creatures that we are mm-hmm. get all excited and phone me at the mouth go oh there's news whereas if he'd said yeah i'm going to react to the two years of the ndp we probably you know were more likely to have kind of gone meh yeah but i mean like the i, I haven't read your story that you just i think you just put it in to be edited now uh but i read dean's this canadian press story that came out oh, yeah. all, all of it is um they're a little closer on unity Mm-hmm. Soon. That, that's not necessarily like I wouldn't say for Jason Kenny that's a great headline that you want to get out and make sure you get. Mm. Um, I don't think anyone's going to go with Kenny criticizes NDP, and I, I, I just no don't. because I mean oh shocking yeah you what a surprise you Keith, need some news yeah Keith, I, I, I'm just not sure that that kind of strategy where you send out a, a kind of a vague press release uh, kind of a creating the, creating <laughs> the expectation of news, uh, getting reporters out there and then saying, oh, actually, there's not much to say here. Uh, I don't know that that actually helps your cause in the end. I think it tends to lead to um, more negative stories in the end. I I remember during the PC leadership campaign back in 2011, Doug Horner called us all out to Mill Woods at 4.30, rush hour Friday, um, with the expectation (laughs) that it was going to be big news. And everybody thought, oh, he's dropping out of the race. He's dropping out of the race, throwing his support behind, you know, Gary Marr or Alison Redford. And no, he was there to announce that he had received an endorsement from Carl Benito, probably the least respected MLA in the entire (laughs) building. At Uh, 4.30 on a Friday. So he did not get good coverage from that. Um, And and, I mean, this it's not the same example, but when you send out these these expectations that there's going to be real news and then don't deliver. I just, I'm not <laughs> sure what the strategy is there. Maybe the lesson for all of us is we need to temper our expectations. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, and it was kind of funny because we were just about to record the podcast. So yeah. I, I didn't have anything to do. So I just showed up. It was like team, co- team coverage of this. <laughs> I was live tweeting. Graham was there. You were there. And people were actually kind of saying, like, why, what is, why are you tweeting this? <laughs> like, what is going on? <laughs> like, I've um, got nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, like, if we can look at this, and this is going to be entirely speculation because we didn't get any news on Unity, but what does this mean for how these talks are going? Should we look at it as saying they didn't get anything done? They did say four to six weeks, and now we're at the upper end of that. That, to me, seemed like an optimistic timeline, but mm. they haven't met it. Um, Kenny himself didn't sound enthusiastic. Like there was a big difference in tone between Kenny this time and Kenny last time. Whereas 
last time he was saying, you know, people who get in the way of this will be answering to Albertans and answering to Albertan conservatives. Um, he wasn't full of that, and that could be because he's in the middle of a negotiation. He doesn't want to sound like he's full of fire and brimstone, but um, he did sound he didn't sound as confident as he has in the past. And you know, as a reporter, you can often read way too much into these things. And uh, what you know. we would never overanalyze <laughs> yeah. anything. But like, this is what happens when you come out with no news: is we're going to sit around and go, "Wow, what is going on? What's happening behind the <laughs> scenes?" And this these kind of negotiations, it's really hard to get anyone involved in them to talk about it because it you really need to keep it tight and any leaks can have really bad consequences for that person or that group or the whole negotiation so what will happen is as things get if they go south you may see some strategic leaking to the news that's what happened in the federal um, merger between the PCs and the Canadian Alliance where you know it was from the Canadian Alliance side where they were just getting so frustrated and it looked like it wasn't going to happen. They conceded on everything and they did a lot of negotiating in the media near the end because they had nothing to lose at that point. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of been monitoring this for that to happen. We're way too early for it, but the it's funny how similar this is because that stretched through the summer between the two federal parties. And by the end of the summer when it was looking like this, if this doesn't happen soon, we're screwed. That's when people started to leak. That's when they started to make noises about, you know, this. if this doesn't happen, it's your fault, it's your fault. So keep an eye on that. But <laughs> I would love to know what's going on behind the scenes, but it's, it's hard to get any insight. And on that, uh, I asked Brian Jean earlier this week at the behest of our colleague in, um, at the Calgary Herald, James Wood, um, whether or not Brian Jean was standing by his idea that this whole new party should be based on the Wild Rose framework. And I expected him to say what he'd said the day before, which was, look, we're not negotiating in through the media here. But he said, yes, yeah, that would be great. Yeah. I still think that that's a top idea. So then <laughs> James Wood wrote his story and then uh, they sent out a clarifying statement. Yeah, I imagine so. <laughs> <laughs> about what Brian really meant to say. Yeah. And that, I think mean, this is what happens is as soon as you say something, they start to use it against you in the negotiation and you start to get accused of negotiating in bad faith. And yeah. it's it's a touchy time. Do we know what, what Brian Jean had to say today, in fact? Like, uh, he wasn't there. He, I assume he's saying something today somewhere. Nope. No, no it was dead silence he's, from that's, Brian That's been his play on this. Weird. Okay. Yeah. All right. Maybe... <laughs> You know, maybe he will say something. No, he won't. <laughs> what am I even? Yeah. No, nah, I don't think he'll say and anything. And I, I think we've said this before. We've said he this didn't a few say times. anything. Sorry, Stuart. He Sorry. didn't say anything after the first, um, after he and Kenny met. Yeah. They, uh, they sent out a photograph of the two of them shaking hands. Jason Kenny came out. It was a cold Monday and he did his press conference. And Brian Jean, I assume, just stood up in his office, which overlooks where the press conference was happening, <laughs> maybe stroking a cat, <laughs> as you pointed out yeah. last time, just yeah. watching. Yeah, I'm just curious if he sort of has the same tone as Kenny at this point, that, that you know, progress is being made and there's some optimism, although maybe not as much optimism as we heard yeah. in the past. I, it's be interesting. But what we've been hearing, and I think we've said this in the podcast before, is for the Wild Rose, there are some people in the Wild Rose who think, if this works, great. If it doesn't work... It's fine. We're leading the polls. <laughs> yeah. Brian Jean is a pretty popular leader, uh, like as far as it goes, especially with, you know, his people. Mm -hmm. um, so they're kind of looking at it and going, it's fine. If you're Jason Kenney, you're looking at it and going, I lead a party with eight seats and oh, a lot of bad will. Yeah. So that could be a bad situation for me. Waldo's also has a ton of money. Yeah. 
you know. But then there's those not. rumors that oh, there's going to be oh, all these yeah. floor crossings. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was a rumor earlier this week mm-hmm. uh, floating around on Twitter. And it was weird because it was coming from all different directions and it was all a bit different. So there was rumors that there were rumors that um, some PCs and some wild roses were going to go and form an independent caucus. They were both going to leave. There was a rumor that some wild roses were going to cross the PC party. There was a rumor that PCs might actually go to the wild rose. Then there was a rumor that some people might uh, join the Alberta party right. as well. So that was really fun. <laughs> and then I guess some actual uh, some board members from the PCs did go to the Alberta party, but no actual politicians. Yeah, seven um, PC board members have resigned since uh, Jason Kenney became leader. He was asked about that today, and he said, well, that always happens after a leadership race. He said that the the PC board is as big as the cast of Ben-Hur. Which <laughs> he did. He's a big fan of, like, pop culture references and topical stuff. From the stuff. 30s? <laughs> when was that movie made? <laughs> the yeah. 50s? I can't remember. Oh, my. <laughs> so um, the reason, I guess, that Jason Kenney wanted to start all this today, because it is a two-year anniversary of the NDP. Now, uh, Keith, you were around when the NDP took power, right? I, I was here. I, I was here. I remember that. Yes. I, I was not at the ledge, but uh, I was in town. That was, <laughs> as I understand, that was a bit of a surprise. It, it was. I was in Saskatchewan and it actually, news filtered across the border, if you'd believe it. I, I won the journal uh, pool, uh, election pool Ooh. that night because I was the only one to predict an NDP majority. Did you win money? I did. Except this being a newsroom, uh, some people did not pay up. (laughs) 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 And you've never collected on your debts? No. What a a noble man you are. (laughs) (laughs) So in the two years that the NDP has been in power, um, we asked Rachel Notley about this yesterday. She had a press conference coming off the back of her trip to China. and she said that the NDP has done a lot. She's very proud of the work it's done, she says. Um, and if you look at the election platform, she says that they have checked off an awful lot of what they said they were going to do. Um, Jason Kenney argues that, yeah, they also brought in a carbon tax. They didn't tell us they were going to do that, did they? Wild Rose also argues that. So, uh, Keith, what do you think about their, what they've done so far? Well, I, I think both arguments are kind of valid there. The, um, <laughs> uh, there is absolutely some things that, that they have done uh, that I think most people are uh, have, have applauded. Uh, they got uh, union and, and corporate money out of, out of the political system to a large degree. Uh, they've made some investments in infrastructure, New Calgary Cancer Centre. Uh, we're finally getting some movement on some Edmonton health facilities. Um, the, the Fort McMurray wildfire, I think most people would say that they've handled that fairly well. Um, you know, some some complaints, obviously, but uh, considering how badly it could have gone um, in terms of the government response to that, I think I think they got uh, some kudos for that. Uh, but then there's then there's been some negative things as well. The, uh, the the FOIP system is still in a shambles right now, and they're taking a lot of heat over that. Um, in in my view, I mean, the thing that I've been most disappointed by, I think, is the way that they've been playing politics. That uh, when they came into power, I thought there was a uh, uh, an effort or at least a, 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 a some sort of um, commitment to do politics a little differently things not uh, not the same as the progressive conservatives had done uh, in terms of uh, rigging votes and uh, making policies and committees um, and I, to me I, I've found that the NDP has actually been practicing politics very much the same way um, and, and maybe I was naive to think that they would be different but uh, there is a reason why um, parties have practiced this way because it does give them an advantage. Uh, it's just disappointing for me that that, that is still going on. 
But you're right. On the committee front, you're completely correct because, of course, they use their power of numbers to pass through whatever they want. I mean, that's what a party in power does, yeah. I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, one of the funniest committees I ever went to, and they're all pretty funny, um, was <laughs> there, I, I can't remember which committee it was, but there was a um, Don McIntyre, Waldor's MLA, had put forth a, a motion that would propose a bill. So, and this was about adverse possession, which is, you know, if in Alberta, has got the strange land rule where if you kind of squat on some land for long enough, you can argue that you own that land now. And it's, there's, it's such a tiny amount of cases in the province. It's happened to a few people. Um, it, it seems like kind of a no brainer because that law doesn't really exist many other places in Canada. And so he, this was proposed at the committee. It was, I was sitting and listening and going, I wonder how you could be against this. Like, what is the political ramifications of this? And what what could they be worrying about? But the NDP members were kind of, you could tell they were all very uncomfortable with the idea of voting to propose this law or to propose this bill. And it was about 45 minutes of filibustering, which I thought was just kind of like questions that didn't need to be questions and going back and forth. And then there, everything just changed all of a sudden where they were all like, yeah, you know what? This is fine. We'll We'll go along with this. And my guess is, I don't know this for sure, is that an email came or someone said, yep, you're fine. Go ahead and do this. And it was one of those <laughs> moments where you were like, "That, that's, this is such a small thing. It's a wild rose motion in the first place. So it's not like it's going to be government legislation in the end. So it, it seemed to me like there was some real top-down control going on there. I don't know for, for sure, but it certainly seemed that way. What is there still for the NDP to do here? Well, a lot. Uh, I, I think one of the big things, one of the things that may determine whether they win the next election or not is uh, these these coming up union negotiations. We've seen one deal already where the uh, the teachers have agreed to uh, to no wage increases, uh, but they have this, this Me Too clause in, in that agreement in which uh, if any of the health unions, for example, get a wage increase, the teachers would also get the same. Uh, so there's some there's some big uh, big talks coming up, uh, especially with the health unions. And uh, if they don't get um, a, a good deal there, a deal that Albertans think is fair at a time of you know of, of economic struggle, uh, and it winds up increasing the deficit, increasing the debt uh, to pay for services, I think that is going to be a a, a big problem for them, and it, it's going to uh, convince Albertans already wary of the NDP that they are kowtowing to their union friends uh, mm -hmm. and not actually governing uh, in the best interests of Albertans. Yeah, and if you thought that it was Im really important for the NDP to have a zero wage increase on these negotiations, that Me Too clause has just made it, like, absolutely certain they just can't like they cannot negotiate anything more than a wage freeze so watch out for all the goodies that are going to come on the other side of things where it comes down to workload and all that stuff so they just can't all they can do now is make sure they get a zero increase and i'd say that's almost a guarantee now um and i think going forward that's the most interesting part is they just can't spend any money and we uh, a bunch of bills got royal assent yesterday and you know, the only one that I think people would recognize is the school uh, fees cut. And that wasn't even the full cut that they promised. It, it's kind of just like a um, watered-down version of what they were hoping to do. Mm. Same as on the daycare. That's a very watered-down pilot program compared to what they wanted to do, which is universal daycare. And when you... Uh, Minister Larravee is the one taking care of that. And when you ask her, when are we going to get to universal? She says, well, it's finances depending. And that to me, implies that it's just not going to happen, at least in this term anyways. 
or even ever. Mm-hmm. I, I can't just can't see it happening. And uh, I, I think this is sort of the story of the next two years is they have zero dollars. They don't have a lot of political wiggle room. They have, uh, I think, a very animated opposition in certain parts of the province. And um, when you look at seats in Calgary, when you look at seats in the more rural areas, it is a very hard get for them. So what they're looking at is the economy and saying, if we can get, you know, 2%, 3% growth, I think the conference board is 2.7 projection this year. CC mentions that all the time. Yeah. And I think that's what they're really hoping for is that number to go up and then jobs to start coming back. But jobs lag pretty badly behind mm. um, the GDP numbers. So when that, you know, when you're looking at 2019, something actually interesting that Kenny said today was, I don't think they're going to call an early election. It's a possibility, but I would be way more, I'd be expecting more that they push it into 2020. That's interesting, yeah. And I was thinking, you know what, that makes a hell of a lot of sense because that is when the jobs will start to be tracking the GDP a little better. And uh, when you have no money to spend, I mean, they've sort of done everything they can. And uh, the other story to this government is that they have done everything they've promised. Um, the opposition talks about the carbon tax not being in their platform, but they did mention very aggressive climate action in their platform, and then they put it out to a uh, to Andrew Leach and his group to sort of tell them what to do, and then they did that. So it kind of makes sense, and everything they've done is an NDP thing to do, and it's the things they've done on purpose that have made them unpopular. It's not scandals that arose out of nowhere. So... I give them some credit for that, that they've sort of done what they said they would do. And now they're either going to pay the consequences or they're going to make sure they can sell it to Albertans. Yeah, I I think they actually need to do a better job over the next couple of years of convincing more Albertans that some of these measures are actually beneficial. I'm not sure that they've done a great job in selling that uh, in some ways. And this is in terms of uh, running uh, deficits of $10 billion two years in a row, uh, uh, a debt figure now of $70 billion by 2019. Um, and 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 the carbon tax and, and the whole climate leadership plan that is really their signature policy that is a major shift for Alberta in terms of policy it's a major mindset shift for a lot of Albertans to get around this uh, to get their heads around this uh, and that is uh, I think th- I mean that's the thing that the the opposition keeps beating the drum on because they know they're getting uh, a good resonance with that a lot of anger uh, they brought they brought it in at a time when there is record unemployment yeah. uh, when uh, they're trying to increase the minimum wage as well are increasing the minimum wage that still has to to, to reach its full effect to $15 an hour uh, so to me, that is the big thing, and, and it's the most polarizing uh, policy they have, this climate leadership plan. Those who love it really love it. They say this is uh, finally time Alberta is taking some leadership on this issue. Uh, we should have been do- doing this years ago. Uh, it got us a couple of pipelines approved that we wouldn't have had otherwise. They do love uh, to they, Right, <laughs> right, right. But if you hate it, you really hate it because you see it as exacerbating an already difficult economic time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the carbon tax is only going to get worse um, because it's going to get more expensive as the years go on here. Uh, so this is this to me is the is the thing they have to sell Albertans on that this is a good thing for Alberta, it is uh, the way forward. And if you take the Wild Rose or the the Jason Kenney approach and cancel this, that it's going to actually set us back. And that mm-hmm. that's a tough argument to make to people who don't have a job, and are seeing their friends uh, get getting laid off and so on. Compare it to um, Stephen Harper coming to power, and he 
he governed in a way that didn't cost him electorally. I think generally that's what he did. He was always looking to the next election. He was trying to get many years in power so he could make very small changes that over time would accumulate and make the government more in the kind of way he wanted to see it, um, which is mainly cutting taxes and decreasing revenues so the government can't do as much as it did before. Um, I do wonder what the initial discussions were. I mean, Brian Topp is an NDP veteran who sort of accidentally ended up running our government. He was part of the campaign and then became chief of staff. And I, I don't think he planned to do that. That's what Kenny called it today. He called the NDP an accidental government. Yeah, but which people, is kind of a crappy thing to say, I think. It is. Because like people everyone, voted for them. Everyone did a... Oh, he called... Every single one of those basically said was a protest vote and that yeah. they thought it was a, quote, risk-free protest vote, yeah. which ended in an accidental NDP government. I, I think there is some truth to the fact that you know, people were just mad at the PCs and expressing that in that election. Yeah. But I don't know. I think you are, um, I think you're taking a shot at the whole electoral process and the people who voted when you say that. But Brian Topp, I can almost guarantee, didn't expect to be in Alberta <laughs> for two years. <laughs> right. And I, I'm so curious about those initial discussions where I think there is some argument if you were sitting down strategically to say, look, this is Alberta. This is an NDP party that sort of came out of nowhere and benefited from extreme disdain for the PCs, and we can't guarantee that we'll be reelected in four years. So why don't we just do everything that we think is necessary, which is massive climate action, which is the minimum wage, that kind of stuff. We'll see where this labor review goes to see if that's part of it. Um, let's just do this, and we'll take a four-year term where we make a lot of changes that are very hard to reverse. Stephen Harper did a lot of small changes over a long time that were very hard to reverse. And I think that is sometimes how these people think when they're thinking strategically is we're not going to turn down a second term, but let's govern as if we're not going to get one and do as much as we can. I don't know if that's the case, but with the amount of stuff they did that they had to know would be unpopular, it's worth considering. Live like it's your last day. Yolo. Dance like nobody's watching. <laughs> yes, and then pray like hell that the economy improves yeah. and people are happier in 2019. Something you said earlier, Keith, about uh, the committees. So, of course, the one committee that blew itself up in its own face, <laughs> um, the Ethics Committee, and it did come up with one single report, bless its soul, that it managed to get out um, before it imploded, and it was the whistleblower legislation, which segue we're going to talk about now. <laughs> The whistleblower legislation seems as though it is... They, they had to revisit this, for starters. The committee had to because in the legislation it's like it's going to be reviewed every now and again. It does seem to have strengthened it. And Christina Gray, uh, the Labor Minister, said that she hopes this makes it some of the strongest, if not the strongest, legislation in Canada. Got a few changes here. It will... Um, ministers and MLAs and the Premier can all be subject to whistleblowing now. Uh, so that's, that's in, I think that's the first place in Canada that is actually mm. able to happen. Um, there will be restitution available to anyone who does feel a sting of ret uh, retribution after they have blown a whistle. So that means money. Um, that means, you know, basically they can have hours reinstated, that kind of thing. Loss of promotion, whatever. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But it, interestingly, that's going to be decided by the Labor Board. So they're the ones who will make that decision. That's another big change. There are, I think, 20 recommendations. 20 or 21 recommendations that the committee made and all but one were adopted by the government. Uh, the one that wasn't is something very odd that I can't even explain, but it's something to do with solicitor-client privilege and it would cause a big hootenanny if they would... When, by hootenanny, I don't mean party. <laughs> I mean more like a kerfuffle. Ah, 
Yes. Brouhaha. Yeah, <laughs> yeah brouhaha. Yeah. Not hooting Annie. Yeah. My bad. So it does seem to strengthen it. It does seem as though um, they're pretty happy with it. I don't really know, though, what whether the opposition ha- will be able to really challenge this in any way. No. Polit- politically, it would seem very difficult for them to challenge it. I, you know, I, they're, they're always talking about more transparency and openness, and, and certainly they're interested in any scandal that might come out from, a, from the government at this point. I do wonder if the NDP is uh, putting this in with you know, an eye to the future when uh, a conservative party does come into power <laughs> and <laughs> hoping that, that, that this might still be around in which they could use to, uh, to get some information, uh, mm-hmm. some dirt on, on that new government. That's a good point, Keith. Mm-hmm. Oh, such a cynic. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I think something that has been increasingly happening and it's coming a lot out of the Labor Department is the entire premise is we're we're not like the rest of Canada, so we should change this so that we should be like the rest of Canada. And when you hear that, it's very like, it sounds logical. When you think, oh yeah, that's true. We're behind or we're not as good as. And that, it has struck me that this is a sort of a major ideological rift here where the NDP has looked across Canada and said, this is what they're doing with the Labour Code Review and the Employment Standards Review. They've said, everybody else is different than us. We need to be more like the rest of Canada. And then the opposition is saying, no, we're Alberta. We should not be like the rest of Canada. <laughs> and w- however you think, like whatever your point of view is, I- I've just started noting, noticing this more and more, is that the opposition is, start of, is starting to move along this like Alberta exceptionalism line. And the Labor Department is saying, almost as their primary like means for justifying everything they do is, but we're not like the rest of Canada. We need to be like the rest of Canada. And uh, assuming that's logic that will stand up. It's funny, as someone who is actually new to Alberta, I have noticed that coming here from, I've lived in BC, uh, Newfoundland, which definitely has its own sense of self. Saskatchewan, not so much, but Alberta, it has a real sense of self. It's very much like, we're, we're, we're Alberta, yeah. (laughs) I can't do accents, guys, sorry. Um, But it does have a real sense of self, so I can Mm -hmm. see how how that would maybe rankle some folks if yeah. there are changes made to make us more like the rest of Canada. And, th- and this is like the, the primary Kenny argument, right, is we want to get our province back from these interlopers. And they see the NDP as sort of people who have moved in from BC or people who've moved in from Manitoba, which some of the staffers have done that. And that's, uh, you know, it's a fair argument in that sense, but they see it, the government, as, almost as illegitimate. And as un-Albertan. Un-Albertan, which yeah. Which is probably the worst insult they can level up. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of that kind of language. Like, I just, I feel like there's more, there's arguments you can make against what they're doing rather than just sort of applying these ad hominem attacks. But uh, that is one area where you do see that, is the NDP making us more like the rest of the country. Mm. Now to our regular segment, good stuff from the gallery. Keith, do you have anything for us this I, week? I do. I've been uh, following with interest the uh, French presidential election. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, juicy. It's crazy. It's crazy. French politics are insane. Uh, like, we think they're, yeah. they're crazy here or crazy in the United States. It's it's nuts there. So, uh, obviously, the, the central character in a lot of this drama right now is Marine Le Pen. Uh, who's another one of these populist figures, uh, sort of uh, like uh, Donald Trump, uh, somewhat anti-immigrant and so on. 
and uh, she she could potentially win. She could be the the next French president, and all kinds of ramifications could come from that of uh, France pulling out of the EU, of uh, uh, more support for uh, Donald Trump uh, style politics and, and policies. So there's a I, just for anyone who wants to know who this person is who might be affecting our planet in a great degree. Uh, there's a <laughs> there's a couple of interesting profiles. Uh, one is uh, recently uh, from last month in. Uh, Oh, who did this one? This is the Guardian newspaper, um, and uh, by an author named Angelique uh, Chrysophis. I don't know. Um, so it's an interesting Sorry, kind of Angelique. Ba- yeah, there you go. <laughs> Some a very basic profile uh, of who this person is, Marine Le Pen. And there was another one actually written in 2013, just as she was kind of gaining some notoriety. Um, and that one's called The Devil's Daughter. And that was written in The Atlantic uh, by a woman named Cecile Aldi on October 2013. So we'll post some links to that. Uh, but uh, uh, good to get educated on uh, who this Marine Le Pen person is if you have not heard of her. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I'm going to recommend a piece from BBC News magazine. It's called Meeting an Organ Tracker Who Preys on Syrian Refugees. Um, it is by Alex Forsyth out of, uh, out of Beirut. It's a really interesting well, profile, I suppose, but story about this bloke um, and like traffickers who his name's Abu Jafar. And one of the quotes that really stuck out to me here, he said, I do exploit people. <laughs> I'm exploiting them, he says, and they're benefiting. And it's a I'll, I'm just going to leave it at that. You should all just go read it yourselves. I'll put up a, we'll put up a link to that as well. Stuart? Uh, well, Paul's away. I'm going to do a non-politics piece, and she can't yell at me for doing that. Uh, <laughs> this is a piece from NewYorker.com on the new Kendrick Lamar album, and it's called... Oh, of course, you're doing something on the new Kendrick Lamar Kendrick album. Lamar's Holy Spirit, which it kind of goes into the religious elements of his work, which I've always been really fascinated by. Um, it's not It's not a common thing these days, and his work doesn't necessarily always reference uh, religion, but it's kind of built on that foundation. And uh, the piece sort of nicely sums it up with the album is filled with uh, contra- contradictions, seesawing between supreme needs and animal wants, heroism and self-loathing, loose thrills, and the possibility of eternal damnation. That's a really nice way to get into that album and kind of understand what it's about. Kendrick Lamar, what a guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that I'm so new to his music. Yeah, and that's a good place to be. Yeah. Oh so much happiness ahead of me listening to the rest <laughs> of his stuff um yeah so thank you so much for joining me keith and Stuart and sean butts our photographer here to video some of this and put it online at edmontonjournal.com where you can find all of the episodes of the press gallery podcast you can also subscribe to our soundcloud channel itunes and tune in radio and we hope that you join us again this time next week on the press gallery <laughs>